to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, today's podcast topic, as you know, because hello, I've talked to you about it, comes courtesy of a friend of mine who, uh, you know, he listens to the podcast a lot. He uh, actually gets ideas for his own personal blog, which he refuses to share with me. By listening to the podcast and kind of either rebutting or whatever. But anyway, we got to talking about open relationships, open marriages. And uh, my friend has been with his wife for many, many years. They, they've known each other since they were very young and they've been married for, for years and years. And I'm not sure of the specifics, whether this is a situation that evolved or whether it's something that they specifically talked about. But he and his wife have a pretty open marriage. And, you know, that involves they both have friends of the opposite sex who they might take trips with, they hang out with. So he was very excited for us to cover this topic. So you would say that your friend and his wife are consensually non-monogamous. I would say that. That's uh, the the more clinical term for an open relationship. And we did a podcast on polyamory. And you can even find the article, How Polyamory Works, on HowStuffWorks.com. And there is a difference between open relationships and polyamory. Uh, there was a blog post about this over at Open Love New York blog, which is uh, authored by a polyamorous couple. And one wrote, uh, one way of looking at it is that poly can describe the mindset and open relationship can describe the factual arrangement, like lovers and married. So basically, while all poly relationships would be considered open, all open relationships would not necessarily be polyamorous because polyamory focuses more not just on sex, but actually having relationships outside of the one-on-one coupling. So open relationships might involve just swinging or just sex when you are out of town or whatever kind of consensual non-monogamous arrangement you agree to. Right. But one thing it is not is cheating. Exactly. Because, and we'll get into this, and we'll probably beat it into your heads over and over again, but the major difference with open relationships versus cheating, uh, an obvious one, is that it is consensual, like we said, and you talk it to death. Communication is a major factor in open relationships. And if you were a follower of Dan Savage, if you listen to his podcast or read his column, you know that he talks about these a lot, but he calls it something else. He calls it monogamish. And there was a huge article, actually, about this idea of monogamish in the New York Times magazine a couple years ago. And Dan Savage said, I acknowledge the advantages of monogamy when it comes to sexual safety, infections, emotional safety, paternity assurances. But people in monogamous relationships have to be willing to meet me a quarter of the way and acknowledge the drawbacks of monogamy around boredom, despair, lack of variety, sexual death and being taken for granted. I mean, I thought it was bad at despair, but when he got to sexual death, that just really sounds grim. And and uh, Savage kind of looks at uh, being monogamish or having an open relationship not as something that indicates that you love your partner less, that you are not turned on by or in love with this person at all anymore. It's more of a way to kind of, I don't know, what would you say, like satisfy desires and urges and keep things exciting 
while growing even closer to your partner. Absolutely. I think it's a form of relationship preservation, at least the way that he approaches it. And a lot of people who are in open relationships would probably agree. And speaking of which, the statistics around how many American adults, at least, are in open relationships slash open marriages is a little bit sketchy since a lot of open couples are closeted Mm -hmm. due to the negative stereotypes around them. But... According to some research that has come out of the University of Michigan's Connolly Lab, estimates that around 5% of Americans are in consensually non-monogamous relationships. Right. And Darren Langdridge, who's a clinical therapist, told The Guardian that non-monogamous relationships are actually surprisingly common and the numbers are increasing. I mean, in one article we read, they were talking about how a lot of that probably has to do with the Internet. Honestly, like, I mean, not, not, I'm not saying that the Internet is like fueling a fetish or something. It's just the fact that the Internet allows people who uh, live their lives in certain ways and maybe that are in a minority of the population finally can connect with each other and realize, oh, OK, I'm I'm normal and other people do this and I can connect with them. Yeah, that was a huge thing that came up in our discussion on polyamory, mm-hmm. where it was allowing people to actually form communities like minded communities. Um, and speaking of communities, the Connolly Lab did find that it is slightly more common among LGBT couples, and it's probably gay men in that group who are skewing those numbers a bit, because repeatedly, studies do find that gay male couples are a lot more likely to be open. Um, for instance, there was a 2010 study which found that 50% of Bay Area gay men had extra relationship sex with, this is important, their partner's knowledge and approval. And when I went and looked for uh, academic research on open relationships, an overwhelming majority were all focused on gay male populations. Yeah. Well, an article I read in The Advocate uh, was interesting. It, It was talking about open relationships among gay and straight couples and how Kind of, kind of saying that, um, the openness of a lot of gay relationships is influencing a lot of straight relationships and how those dyads work and how people, people's attitudes are changing about open relationships and things. But they do point out, this is kind of a sidebar, they do point out that with the fight for marriage equality, there's a lot of pressure on a lot of gay couples to shut up about their open relationships and kind of in order to reach that equality, conform to this ideal of, of, you know, of what marriage is supposed to be, which is between just two people. But, you know, as we'll get into, that don't work for everybody. That don't work for everybody. And it is unfortunate because that only perpetuates negative and often off base, as we'll learn in a little bit, stereotypes about how open relationships often work. Mm -hmm. But you know what a lot of people in, especially in heterosexual arrangements, are doing, Caroline? They're having sex outside of marriage and not necessarily in a consensually non-monogamous kind of way. There's a lot of cheating going on. Yeah, a 2001 Journal of Family Psychology study found that infidelity occurs in a reliable minority of American marriages. That's between 20 and 25 percent of all Americans who are having sex with someone other than their spouse. And it's non-consensual and it's not communicated about. It is something that is done 
without their knowledge. Yeah, and for uh, men versus women breakdown, a 2010 University of Chicago Research Center found that 14% of ever-married women and 20% of ever-married men said that, yep, they've had affairs. Well, and I think what a lot of people are saying, especially Dan Savage, are like, as far as affairs versus open marriage, wouldn't it just be better for people instead of going out and having affairs that could potentially come back and really crush your partner, ruin your relationship? Wouldn't it be better to just have that discussion one way or another of saying, hey, do you want to do this? Is this something that we can do and survive and then set those ground rules? Yeah, because it's not like historically people especially men, not to harp on men, but especially men having sex outside of marriages is nothing new whatsoever. And the author of A History of Marriage puts it thusly. She says the problem in America is that the so-called open marriage has usually been somewhat one-sided. To be a real open marriage, it has to be, like we've said, a mutual decision. But for most of history, men had open marriages... And women didn't. Men had affairs and women had to put up with it. Yeah, we can go back to, say, the 18th century when men talked openly of their mistresses and prostitutes in letters. And it's not so great still for the women. I think you found some uh, some research on this as well about kind of the maintenance of those extramarital relationships. Well, Dossie Eaton, who, along with uh, Janet W. Hardy, is an author of The Ethical Slut, A Practical Guide to Polyamory, Open Relationships, and Other Adventures, wrote that it used to be considered that if you had a mistress, it was almost your ethical job to make sure your partner didn't find out because anything else would be totally disrespectful of your partner. And this led to what was essentially tacit permission for men to have affairs as long as they were discreet. And so, you know, the thinking goes like, well... Okay, so it's respectful to have an affair as long as you're quiet about it. And but, you know, nowadays with the frick, I don't mean to sound like an old like grandmother sitting on my porch in my rocking chair shaking my fist. But like with the Internet these days, like how how discreet can we actually be? Right. Well, I will say that open marriage did have quite a moment in, not so surprisingly, the 70s. Because in 1972, George and Nena O'Neill published a book called Open Marriage, and it spent more than 40 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. And Open Marriage came out of the cultural closet. And this book also was ultimately translated into 14 languages. It was kind of a revolutionary text that was published. And so there, there was this moment when, okay, Maybe this is something that we could try out because we're coming out of the more madmenish era when you think of uh, Don Draper having all of these affairs and open marriage was more of uh, this proclamation that it doesn't have to be that way. Right. We can actually do this whole consensual non-monogamy in a way that's that's good for both Don and Betty, you know? Well, if you think about it, I mean, this it's not like this stuff was never going on before this book. You know, I, be, I, I feel like this book was to open marriage then what the Internet is now for us. Like, it brought it to people's attention that other people are doing it, that it wasn't necessarily something to be quite so ashamed of or kept so secret, you know, that... This is, in fact, something that goes on 
in other cultures and with other couples. Yeah, but, but still, and, and maybe it was because of the more conservative wave that came through in the 1980s, the moment for open marriage went by the wayside. And now, decades later, a lot of people who are in open relationships, which is still a slim minority, it's not it, it's not a common thing at all, but a lot of them remain closeted because of this laundry list of negative stereotypes that we have about people who openly have sex outside of marriage, which I find so ironic because it's almost like we punish them more than we would punish cheaters. Yeah, because they're, well, they're daring to go against social norms. Yeah. I mean, there are people who would argue that, you know, you're not respecting the institution of marriage. But on the other hand, why is it any of your freaking business what other people do? Well, and I feel like today when not to just pull out the same things that people say over and over again, but uh, yet again, if you look at divorce rates and all Mm -hmm. of those different statistics, it's like who is respecting the sanctity of marriage? Right. And if you are doing something in agreement with your partner in order to strengthen your relationship and remain married, especially if you have children, of that marriage. I mean, is that not good? I mean, that's I mean, that that is one thing that Dan Savage argues of if you can do something to strengthen your marriage and make you happier as a couple. And so you stay together. Right. Is that not? Yeah. And, and that's I mean, that's not to say that, hey, if you're having relationship right. problems, go to a swingers club. Uh, right. No. But let's at least take a moment and see whether or not those negative stereotypes are actually true. Right. So there was one uh, University of Michigan survey that asked they, they gave two hypothetical couples. Uh, one was non-monogamous and one was monogamous. And they they had all these things that you could rate them on. And before we get into like the major stereotypes about non-monogamous couples, I would just like to take a moment to point out that in the results of that University of Michigan study, People judged the non-monogamous couples as less likely to floss on a daily basis and more likely to pay their taxes late. We just think they're terrible people. We think they are horrible people. We also think that they are sexually risky because, of course, they're just going out, leaving the kids with God knows who and <laughs> and having sex with with strangers. But in fact, a 2012 study, I think this was the, the University of Michigan study, found that people in open relationships were actually much more likely to engage in sexual risk prevention than people who were cheating, mm-hmm. including doing things like using condoms, using gloves for genital touching, uh, discussing sexually transmitted diseases and sexual history and sterilizing sex toys. Yeah. And they pointed out that cheaters were much more likely to be drunk or on drugs during their outside encounters because of that whole like, oh, no, I'm just doing this by the seat of my pants. So, you know, it's like they're they're under the influence of things, which we've talked about before in, you know, relation to other issues. When you are under the influence of substances, you are less likely to be safe 
in your sexual encounters. And just to reinforce this point, uh, there was a 2010 study which found that 85% of gay men in open relationships took specific steps to ensure sexual health. Because, I mean, it makes total sense that that's the case. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, in the best case scenario for open relationships, you're entering into this agreement with a lot of conversation. You're getting into some radical communication territory. And so... Of course, you're going to be maybe more willing and open to talk about safety as well. Yeah. Another myth is that open relationships are uh, less emotionally satisfying than closed relationships. And sure, there are certainly issues of jealousy that will come up in open relationships. If you read pretty much any article on that People will acknowledge like, hey, yeah, of course we've had to deal with those kinds of issues. Um, but again, because there's been so much uh, academic focus on gay male couples, that's why uh, they keep coming up. There was a 2010 study which found that uh, gay male relationships are the only couple type that report equal satisfaction whether or not their relationships are sexually open or closed. But what made the difference for those couples and their happiness had nothing to do with monogamy. It hinged on open communication and established relationship rules. Yeah, there was one, gosh, was it the Advocate article? I'm sorry, I can't remember. But there was one article that talked to one uh, gay couple who one of the partners, Gary, I think his name was. Gary. Gary. Uh, raised the idea of having an open relationship. His partner did not like the idea, was against it. He's like, do you not love me? Do you not find me attractive anymore? But then they slowly like just communicated about it more and more and were like, okay, well, we're going to start here where it's both of us and this other person. Okay, well, then we're going to broaden it up to like, we can both do things, but we have to tell each other. And then it, it kind of like grew from there. They communicated, they set those rules that both of them were comfortable with. That was the thing. So that Gary's partner did not feel like he was being dragged, kicking and screaming into a scenario he didn't want to be in. It was more like, okay, well, let's talk about it, get comfortable with the idea and and do what we are happy with. And Gary wasn't stuck wondering, should I cheat or should I not? Right. Um, And speaking of which, uh, there's this idea that open relationships are just doomed because, of course, you're not, you know, you're having sex with other people or not having sex, but entertaining other people. Um, Again, Gary and his partner probably, according to research, probably have longer partnerships than people in sexually exclusive relationships. Yeah, and people do assume that those in open relationships are completely just emotional robots. Yeah, they just want sex. Right. But a 2010 study of gay men in open relationships found that that avoidant attachment was not a factor. Yeah, and the researchers were surprised by that because their hypothesis was that men who would be all about open relationships would be less into the idea of really close emotional bonds. And they found that, oh, wait, no, there's actually both. They actually are emotionally healthy and sexually satisfied. Huh. Okay. Well, now, speaking of emotions, what about jealousy? Jealousy's got to be the deal breaker, right, Caroline? 
You would think it would be. I mean, it's a natural emotion. Everybody feels it. But studies on polyamorous couples have found that not only is jealousy not a major problem, thanks to all of that communication that we mentioned, but there's also real no real uh, gender difference in the amount of jealousy experienced. Yeah, there's even a term called compersion that poly people might be familiar with because it's a term which is the happiness that you feel for your partner when he or she finds someone else that they're interested in. In the same way, Caroline, that I would be really happy for you if you got an amazing new car or something, you know, <laughs> if right. something really great happened to you, I would I would feel joy on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine? I mean, to me, the idea of compersion, of me getting psyched about my boyfriend finding another girlfriend. Good for you, honey. Yeah, I that's foreign to me. I don't understand. But... It, it, it exists. Yeah, I I also have a hard time imagining that. Uh, but if it is the type of relationship you have and you're open and honest and you honestly, both of you, want this for the other person and for yourselves, then yeah, I could see being excited. You're a go-getter. You went and got that goal. That's right. You achieved that goal of finding someone else to date. Hooray. Uh, but there is, though, this question of whether or not open relationships are more slanted towards the desires of men. I mean, again, we've talked about how a, lo- a lot of this research, in a rarity, actually, for uh, research is focused on gay men because our idea is that, well, men want more sex. Women want more bonding, more relationship. So are open relationships just women saying, well, I don't want to lose you, so let's go to that swingers club <laughs> or, or whatever the arrangement might be? Well, I thought that Dan Savage had a really interesting take. And by interesting, I mean it's it's a little harsh, but he had an interesting take on the topic. He said that the mistake that straight people made was imposing the monogamous expectation on men. He said men were never expected to be monogamous. Men had concubines, mistresses, and access to prostitutes until everybody decided that marriage had to be egalitarian and fairsy. Uh, in the feminist revolution, rather than extending to women the same latitude and license and pressure release valve that men had always enjoyed, we extended to men the confines women had always endured, and it's been a disaster for marriage. What do you think about that? That's pretty intense. That is pretty intense. And I don't agree with all of it. I don't like putting men and women in such tightly confined boxes because I know plenty of men who don't want sex outside of their relationships, Mm -hmm. who are extremely monogamous, textbook monogamous. And I know plenty of women who would not bat an eyelash at being able to have sex with more than one guy or mm-hmm. girl. <laughs> um, so and Dan Savage does get a lot of flack from women because he sometimes tends to uh, downplay how much we do enjoy sex and and how fluid our desire can be as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's extreme what he's saying. Um, And feminist blogger Sadie Doyle also isn't quite on board with that. 
Yeah, she says that putting all the onus on the person who doesn't have that fetish or desire, particularly if the person who doesn't have that desire is the woman, really reproduces a lot of old structures and means of oppression for women. Although I was surprised there was a um a whole room for debate section in the New York Times about open marriage when a few years ago, Newt Gingrich's politician, Newt Gingrich, who hails from Georgia and has a weak handshake. Oh, really? Small tidbit. Huh? Okay. Well, his ex-wife came out and said that he wanted open marriage. And as we all know, he is now married to his longtime mistress. And so everybody all of a sudden was talking about open marriage because... You know, we have someone like Dan Savage, who, of course, is all about monogamish, but for a very conservative Republican politician to be rumored to have wanted an open marriage, which seems like such a crazy idea, then, you know, everybody's got to talk. Well, and, you know, he was so slammed for it. uh, And he, you know, he was like, oh, that's filth. I can't believe you're reporting on that. Those are such terrible lies, terrible, terrible lies. And it's like, well... I don't know. I mean, the fact that he asked his wife, okay, granted, she didn't want it. That's fine. She doesn't, she doesn't have to participate in this. She doesn't have to be okay with that at all. But the fact that he asked his wife tells me like, okay, well, you know, it's not like he's without, all right. I'm saying this is not really a Newt Gingrich supporter, but it's not like he's without a moral compass. You know, it's like maybe he just found in his now wife, Maybe he just found someone who is more on board with the idea of consensual non-monogamy. Or the scenario in my mind is, and this taking him away from the situation, um, I could see an open relationship being proposed because someone started cheating, Mm -hmm. got found out, and doesn't want to stop. And you say, well, give me the permission to do this. Right. Let's make it open. Which is absolutely the wrong way to go about that. And that's not open. No. Because. That's cheating. Exactly. Because getting caught and just asking for permission when the other person really just wants you and only you, I think is setting yourself up for a downfall. Big time. Big time. And so that resonates a lot with what Doyle is saying in terms of, you know, it's, it shouldn't be something that women should just be, should just have to go along with so right. that they can be down, so that they can be good wives, good girlfriends. I think how good, in quotes, it is for women, whether they're in a relationship with a man or a woman, um, really depends on how the approach to opening up a relationship happens. Yeah. Is it coming from a good place or not? Yeah. I mean, there was a gross, I have a gross example. Like I actually like had to put my laptop down. I was like, this girl is just on another planet. Uh, Cosmo of all magazines, you know, it's my favorite. Uh, had a column where the guy was, or I don't know, the columnist was interviewing a woman who was in an open relationship with her boyfriend. But he's like, well, why did you do this? Like what, what made you decide to do this? Her answer made me so sad. It was like, well, you know, my boyfriend is a bartender, and so I just really can't expect him to be monogamous, and I don't want to put that demand on him, and so I've, you know, come to accept that this is the best way to keep him. Come on, that that to me is not the true definition of an open relationship either, because she felt kind of coerced into it, manipulated into it, like... The whole excuse of like, well, men are going to sow their wild oats, you know, all that stereotype crap. 
you know, like, okay, well, you know what? Maybe he's just not a good boyfriend. Right. And again, I'll go back to the fact that there are plenty of dudes out there who want monogamy and they're fine with monogamy. And she could probably find one of those men. I mean, monogamy is uh, scientifically, biologically, uh, anthropologically speaking, a ridiculous standard. Mm-hmm. That we have because we stay married for so long, because we're expected to only have sex with one person for 40 or 50 years. That's crazy talk. Um, no, I'm not saying morally. Someone's probably like, oh, my God, what is Kristen saying? <laughs> Your mother's going to write us a letter. Yeah. I mean, if, if you talk to any scientist, um, it is it, it's it's such an anomaly mm-hmm. in nature that we do this. And there are perfectly good reasons, like Dan Savage said, for monogamy being this gold standard in society for things like sexual safety, paternity assurance, emotional safety. It provides a reliable structure for us. Yes. Um, and by the same token, though, opening up a relationship or just saying, just have sex just to stay with me. It being a last ditch effort to cater to someone else's mm-hmm. needs. Yeah. That, I, that just breeds resentment. That's just opening up a Pandora's box of resentment. Well, and the thing is, I, I think a lot of people react really strongly when a conversation about open relationships happens because it's almost like we hear about it and we assume that Dan Savage or George and Nena O'Neill, who wrote Open Marriage in 1972, are saying, hey, everybody, open it up. Let's have a free for all. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely not what they're saying. I think they were maybe more trying to reach toward equality and happiness and an egalitarian relationship in marriage. Yeah, I mean, for um, Nena O'Neill, for instance, she said in 1977, uh, she said, quote, I don't think we ever saw it as a concept for the majority. And certainly it hasn't proven to be. And I was skimming through open marriage and it's a lot more about evening out the dynamics in a relationship, because you think about it, this was published in 1972. Essentially, what they were outlining was a couple that wasn't the leave it to beaver woman at home cooking dinner and having scotch ready for the man when he comes home from earning the money, Um, rather than it just being a swingers manifesto. Right. And you know what? I I do think that even if you do not want an open relationship, it's not for you and your partner. I think we have a lot to learn from people who are in open relationships, because if you are in a consensually non-monogamous relationship and it is successful, holy crap, are you doing a lot of communication? And I, I think the amount of communication, mutual support and just that openness and vulnerability, you know, you're exposing yourself to something a little scary and, and not normal by a lot of our standards. That really lays a very strong foundation for your relationship. And I think if more of us were able to communicate with our partners more openly like that, we would all probably have better relationships. And I think that it requires a solid foundation of trust. Yeah. I think that it would be hard to... Um, and I, I, I really want to hear from listeners on this because I'm, I'm sure that there are people listening who are in these scenarios or have been. Um, I think it would be so hard to start off a relationship open. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like there are those components, the communication, the trust, the mutual respect, all of those things 
takes time to build. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be really hard to establish that foundation when other people are in the mix. Well, it's kind of like, well, what point do you have to stay together? Right. If you don't have some kind of foundation um, just between you two, uh, what's the point of staying together if you find some hot other thing to sleep with? You know, right. like there's, yeah, I don't know, but that's just me. And one thing we haven't even touched on and don't even have time to is what about the kids? That came up a lot in the episode on polyamory of how couples and um, groups will also have kids and, you know, kind of how they, they work all those things out. Um, but I'm sure that. Hey, well, the kids of uh, the uh, Wonder Woman creator and his wife Marston and their mistress, those kids, you know. I don't, well, I don't know how they're doing. I don't know if they're happy or not, but I mean, there were four children in that polyamorous relationship. Yeah. And they, and they live to tell the tale. <laughs> right. Um, so what do you think? Should we toss it to listeners? Totally. I, I want to hear. I want to hear from people. Yeah. I think just to clarify, neither, neither Caroline nor I, well, I don't want to speak for you, Caroline. Okay. I am not in an open relationship. Uh, but, oh my gosh, I haven't even been with, my partner long enough <laughs> to even like have any time or focus that I could even like spare away from our relationship. Yeah, that's my thing. Like, I mean, I have never been in an open relationship and I've never really had the strong desire to be. But, you know, so, um, you know, if, if that's your thing, that's cool with me. I'm fine with that. Uh but yeah, I, I barely have time to see my boyfriend. So I don't know how I would see someone else. But I can imagine though, from the perspective of your friend who kicked off this whole conversation that we're having, who has known his wife for years and years and years and years, mm-hmm. how it might be a very different scenario. Right? So let us know what you think. Momstuffadiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. We want to hear from you. Pros, cons, thumbs up, thumbs downs, open relationship thoughts. Send them our way. And you can also hit us up on Facebook or tweet us at Podcast. And now back to our letters. Well, we've got a couple letters here in response to our episode on women's cycling. And the first one is from Galley, who was the listener who suggested that we do the podcast. And I just wanted to share with you that she says, I avidly read the 1896 Bicycling for Ladies book that was linked on the Stuff Mom Never Told You Tumblr and learned that apparently bullion was considered a stimulant like tea and coffee. Brilliant stuff. Oh, and there was also a good bit about always having a small reserve of chocolate or beef tablets for snacking mid-ride. Mmm, beef tablets. I can only imagine the looks my fellow cyclists would give me if I were to take out a beef tablet. Many already consider it weird that I prefer plain old dried figs as mid-ride snacks instead of bars or gels. It's funny how times change. That book also showed that chamois, which is uh, a type of towel, uh, were not really things one discussed back then. Today, those things are generally not discussed either, to my utter dismay, because it takes quite a few trials and errors to figure out on their own that not all chamois is the same and that not everyone's private parts respond the same way to different materials 
and cuts, especially during a five or six hour ride. As someone said on some rides, cycling is good for your whole body, except your outer vagina. But I guess that's TMI stuff and wouldn't have been of interest in 1896. Thank you, Gally. Okay, I have an email from Tristan who says, I just listened to the episode about women cycling in which you mentioned regulations on women that grew out of concern for reproductive health. I found this funny because spending a lot of time cycling can actually cause erectile dysfunction in men. The way body weight is supported on the bike seat places a lot of pressure on nerves connected to the genitals as well as the circulatory system to and from the penis. From my understanding, you are only at risk if you spend hours a day on a bike and most of the problems will correct themselves if you stop cycling for a while. I thought you might find the misplaced concern interesting. So thanks, Kristen. Oh, man. Who knew cycling was uh, so hard on the genitals? I don't want to say. The hard day's work for your junk. That's right. So thanks to everyone who has written in about cycling and genitals and all sorts of things. MomStuffDiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Tumblr at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And if you want to watch us, you know what to do. Go over to YouTube.com slash StuffMomNeverToldYou where we have... 70 videos? Maybe more than that now. And click that subscribe button. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 